See, a retired pastor, Stephen Coles, once served on a jury for a drunk driving case. And he recalls this case as such. The defendant had a blood alcohol level twice the legal amount, the legal limit. The judge carefully instructed us that our job was to determine if the woman had in fact broken the law. I naively thought that the case was a slam dunk. We shouldn't have to deliberate longer than a few minutes, certainly. We got into the jury room and one guy piped up. I can drink that much and drive without any problems. Someone else chimed in with similar comments. Some ladies said how nice the young woman was. She seemed to be so nice. I couldn't believe it. They were totally ignoring the judge's instructions. After three hours of wrangling, going back and forth, another jury, a jury member said this. That I am, sorry, after, sorry, they were totally ignoring the instructions, right? So after three hours of wrangling, another jury and I finally persuaded everyone of this woman's guilt, except for one woman. She said, I could never vote to convict her because the Bible says, judge not, lest you be judged. Now, it was getting late in the day, and I knew that if we didn't convict her, we'd all come back the next day. So I said, none of us wants to be back here tomorrow. We must convict her today. So keep quiet. Don't talk. And that's how justice was done. See, we don't have that luxury, luxury in everyday life, do we? Every day we, we make judgment calls. We analyze people's behavior, body language, their dress sense, their tone. We analyze the, the food that we eat. But today we want to answer one question. Who can judge? Who is fit to make a clear and decisive judgment? And so it continues. James returns to this topic of speech. We spent a while in chapter 3 exploring what James had to say about the sins of the tongue. We considered the strict judgment on those who teach the word of God. The position and the embodiment of the tongue is positioning how it reveals what's deep within. The effects of such a small member of the body James says it's a fire, a world of unrighteousness, boasting of great things. He addresses the inability to tame the tongue from which we curse people and we bless the name of the Lord. We curse those who are made in the likeness and image of God. And in chapter four, we looked at, we move from the generic nature of the tongue to the specifics Illustrations of how the tongue causes war amongst believers. The result that can that mean that our prayers, even our prayers are corrupted as we ask 
But yet our oxen betrays what's in our heart. See, James spends some time commanding his readers to seek the wisdom that comes from above. Such godly wisdom, which has seven qualities. Read that in chapter 3, verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. See, our relationship and humble position in receiving grace from Christ should evidently manifest itself in how we deal humbly with others. But these Jewish Christians were not in good fellowship at times with each other. I wonder if you've been in this situation before, striving with other Christians, warring with other Christians. Today we want, to, we want to look at another warning to us as believers from James. He addresses a unique problem here about the tongue. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. We begin at the brethren. We need to recover that word, don't we? It's used too often, like, my brethren, my brethren. But it talks about God's people, brothers and sisters, believers in Christ. NIV version says this, brothers, do not slander one another. Another version says, don't criticize one another, brothers. This, addressed, this was addressed to Christians, believers, followers of Christ. And he admonishes them to refrain from evil talk to one another. It should be without slander and criticism. If there's one sin that the Bible talks over and over again, a serious sin that we need to take heed of, is the sin of the tongue. It's so destructive. Judging others speaks of criticizing, backbiting, gossiping, Condemning, being slanderous to each other. There are many examples of people we see in the Bible speaking against each other. Remember the the story of Korah and the rebellious people that spoke against Moses and Aaron. We look back even at the beginning of time. Adam speaking against his wife. She caused me to do that. Joseph's brothers. They, they, they planned behind his back how they can get rid of him. They hated him. Judas, he betrayed Jesus. Another sneaky plan with the scribes to betray our King and our Lord. See, in our judgment of others, we join the company of those that have gone before us. Speaking evil against each other. See, notice the use of, use of the word here, against, speaks of opponents. The word signifies that those mentioned here are on opposite sides. Believers, we're not meant to be, are we? We're in the same boat with Christ. Though they profess to be on the same team, 
Yet they're warring with each other. The consequences of our evil tongue only brings division. What do we mean to speak evil against one another? Well, the second sentence in verse 11 qualifies this. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother. Does this confer that we cannot disagree with one another? Can we not disagree on things? No. There are disagreements and misunderstandings all the time. If we get close to one another, that's, we become like family. And in reality, we do begin to rub each other up the wrong way. That's natural. Our imperfections and thoughts come to, up to the surface. But surely our conduct and our speech must be reflective of the love that we have in Christ. See, often our conduct and our speech easily become the type of judgment that James reveals here. We sin so easily with our tongue as it's restless evil. No one can tame it. Only our Lord Jesus had perfect speech and conduct. And sadly, it means we are, we're all prone to sin because this is the very thing that we use on a daily basis, our tongue. Slander takes many forms. There are those who hear rumour, whether true or false, and run with it, spreading it afield, like Chinese whispers. Some hear that others have been speaking maliciously about them, and they go and do the same thing. Sometimes it's speaking in anger when someone frustrates you. You're irritated. I must respond. Others are motivated to bring down anyone that they perceive as not worthy of their position or whatever role they're playing. Sometimes slander is subtle. I like Paul, but what do you think of Sarah? She's a bit... You're filling the blanks. Other times we criticise people because we have our own expectations. And they don't meet up to them. We feel like they don't measure up to our standards. See, former US President Harry Truman was said to abide by a certain rule. Any letters he wrote in anger had to remain on his desk for 24 hours before he could send them off for mailing. This allowed him a cool enough period to think, contemplate, to ponder if he still felt the same after those 24 hours then yeah it would send him it was revealed that at the end of his life the number of Truman's letters on man letters that were on his inside his drawer his desk drawer were numerous many times he could have sent something but refrained Oh, how we as Christians should hold our tongue, hold our response, hold that tweet that you're about to send out, hold that message, speak that message with wisdom, bear with one another, show patience, long-suffering. There is a caveat. Not every rebuke is slander or judgment, though. Not every rebu rebuke is slander or judgment. We live in a world that 
increasingly promotes tolerance, subjective truths, that the truth is not determined by our God. Any disagreement on a topic is deemed as that person's aggressive, they're intolerant, they're unloving. But Christians are reminded often that we are reminded that the Bible says, do not judge. You can't judge me. And they cite this from Matthew 7, 1, says, which says, judge not, that you are not judged. We have concluded, therefore, that we must not pass judgment. Often believers, unbelievers tell Christians not to comment on a particular sin. Who are you to judge? And often in our modern society, these topics, these LGBT topics, abortion topics, polit- politics, the reality is we are judging, but it's not us doing the judging. The gospel does judge. The gospel does judge. When you speak the gospel, it's convicting. That's what judges. It's the very word of God. And it has the power to convict souls. You should not be afraid to share the gospel. Don't be ashamed even when you're accused of judging. It's the power of God unto salvation. Yours is to have a heart of compassion. A heart that seeks to reconcile people to Christ. See, the context in James here, however, is talking about between Christians. How does judging relate to a fellow believer? It is right to rebuke someone with the heart of compassion, seeking to affirm that person as a brother or sister in a precise way through demonstrating true love. We should rebuke one another in Christ with the mind and intention to restore the other person to Christ and to edify and build up one another. If someone preaches something contrary to scripture, we should address that. We can't keep quiet. If someone dress sense is a bit too risky, we should have a kind word for them. Maybe another sister or another brother should say to, we should speak up about these things. If someone is exhibiting a behavior that is divisive, again, that needs to be stopped. How? Speaking kindly, seeking to restore that person. Correcting someone that is speaking in error is not divisive. The Bible says that we must, we should encourage each other towards the unity of the faith. See, our rebuke should be motivated by a desire to encourage growth in Christ and reconciliation to each other. That's what being a family is about. There are times of difficulties, yes, but we seek to love and bear with one another. Too often, rebuke can be spoken of as an attack on someone else's character or is taken as one. Discernment is key in every situation. Discernment is key. The big question is, how do we address each other as Christians? How do we judge rightly? Well, Matthew 7 helps us again. Verse 2 to 5 says this, For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Why do you seek the speck that's in your brother's eyes, but do not notice the log that's in your own eyes? 
Or how can you say to another brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye that you may see clearly the speck out of your brother's eye. We are too often unable to discern situations because we ourselves have logs in our eyes, in our own eyes. See, discernment is judging between right and wrong. Jesus encourages us in this passage that we have just, we have to, re, we have to be able to judge from the standpoint of removing the log from our eyes. That's the point. A lifestyle recognizing your own sin and repentance has got to be the starting point to discern the sins in your own life and seek forgiveness before helping and guiding another fellow Christian to remove the speck in their eyes. We don't often do that, do we? See, James has already warned us in James 1, 19 to 20. He says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So why does our tongue promote sin? Even our perceived righteous indignation is actually unrighteousness. See, our anger and quarrels or hearing something about another Christian that winds us up often does not produce the righteousness of God. Why? Because we don't often judge with a righteous judgment. John 7, 24. Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with right judgment. See, our opinions are at the forefront of our mind rather than discerning righteously God's word. We make judgment every day, don't we? We judge ideas which bus we should take, which route to take to work. We make judgments whether to help someone or not. We may make a judgment today. And we read the, the Bible, a statement, or command to refrain from something. We need to ask why. What, why? Why is the Bible saying this? Why is God saying this? Without understanding the why, we struggle to obey. We do. See, in order to help us to see when our speech against a brother can be sinful, we need to know what the law has to say about this. The law is the gauge by which sin is revealed. And this is our second point. When we speak evil against another brother or sister, we are speaking evil against the law and the lawgiver. Before we clarify what this means, James takes us step by step to help us see the progression or the process before the ultimate statement in verse 12. These Christians were in sin because they maligned and criticized the law and thus were guilty of judging the law. In having a critical spirit against a fellow believer, they were setting themselves firstly above the law and above God ultimately. See, when we slander someone's reputation, even if we 
what they say, what, what is being said is true, or what we hear is true, it's disruptive, it's divisive. We have this perception, if we are living by that, that we are above the law. It doesn't apply to me. Which law in particular are we referring to here? Leviticus 19, 16 says this, you shall, go, you shall not go around a slanderer among your people, and you should not stand up against the life of your neighbour. I am the Lord. Whilst there is a specific example here in Leviticus, we know from Jesus himself that the laws are underpinned by two laws. To love God with all our hearts, all our strength, with all our soul and our might. To love each other as God has loved us. This is what James is addressing here. He alluded to it previously in chapter 2. The royal law to love your neighbour as you love yourself. In verbal or non-verbally criticising a brother or sister, we are actually in disobedience to the royal law. When we, don't speak e- when we speak evil to one another, we are not obeying the law. See, the marks of obeying this royal law has been spelt out previously for us. In previous chapters, James talks about the steadfastness in the testing times. Sometimes there's testing times between believers, yet we must seek to pursue Christ-likeness and to love one another. Sometimes it involves praying with wisdom, praying for wisdom in that particular situation, what to do. We must appreciate where God has placed us and be faithful. Even if others are saying certain things about us, be faithful to Christ. We must recognise that God gives good gifts and actually we are God's gifts to one another. That's the the beauty of us as believers. When we are reconciled into a family, we become brothers and sisters. And that's the gift of God to us. We must be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Why? Because even the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. We must show compassion to others even in times of weakness. We must restraint against partiality. Sometimes we feel there are certain types of people that we, we can like and certain types of people that we can't like. But Oswald, Oswald Chambers says this, he says, we must never let those likes and dislikes rule in our Christian life. If we walk in the light as God is in the light, God will give us communion with people for whom we have no natural affinity. That's reconciliation. That's the gospel. But when we speak evil against the brethren, we speak evil against the law. We stand in opposition to God's command. We make a choice to be ignorant of the royal law. We're disregarding God's word and his ways. We elevate ourselves above the law and thus reveal a heart of pride. We make accusations or assumptions that align with the ultimate accuser, the devil. We want to be on God's side. See, when we make a judgment about a brother or sister, we judge 
the law. We're now standing and sitting in the position of the lawgiver. And therefore we're saying that we are the ultimate judge. We are declaring ourselves perfect and just to make such decisions. We are saying that we are, we have been, we are perfect in our knowledge of that person. And that we are able to pronounce judgment. We, we inadvertently declare that we, are also, we, that we also should be judged in like manner. Same way that we are speaking to others. Actually, then we say we should be judged without compassion. We should be judged without mercy, without patience, without wisdom. But we know there's only one lawgiver. Isaiah 33, 22 says, It's for the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. A judge who is able to discern and to examine and to evaluate righteously. What does it mean to be our lawgiver? We know from the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, they speak of the law, the various different laws, the statutes that that were given by God. And this these laws separated God's people, didn't they? From other nations. We could even say that the commandment to Adam and Eve not to eat of the tree of good and evil was a type of law. God is infinitely powerful and no one can compare to his holiness. He is the lawgiver. No one can compare to his character, his justice, his majesty. See, in God's kingdom and his divine government, he is the executive and the judicial party. He judges and he executes the law. He proclaims and declares his law. And he's able to keep and enforce that law. See, if one acts as being a judge of the Lord, you are stepping into big, big shoes. Big shoes. You might as well say and tell God, well, you just take a seat there. I've got this. I can make this right judgment. You're not just saying that you're above the law, but you, that you're above the law giver himself. Playing God is a serious sin and is an attempt to usurp God's authority and power and power and authority. God's divine government, his creation and children are to obey his commandments he sets out. We're not obeying God when we use our God-given tongues to judge evil of our neighbour. So James states at the end of verse 11, he says this, but if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law. Why? Because you become the judge yourself. You've made yourself judge. If by speaking evil against a brother or sister in Christ, we are judged to be speaking evil against the law of God. Well, the final point today is that doing both of those is actually speaking against the authority of the almighty judge. We're going toe to toe against the creator of heaven and earth, the God of all splendor, majesty. Who can stand against him? Who can stand against the judge? This is our final point. As we read verse 12 again, it says this, there is only one lawgiver and judge, 
He who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbour? We've spoken a lot about not speaking evil to one another. How we speak such evil judgments and some reasons why it is a sin. But the ultimate reason is because it's sin against God. It's sin against God himself. There is only one judge, only one ruler. In the Old Testament, we know that God himself, the Father, revealed himself as the judge over all. We see his righteous judgment in the Garden of Eden. We see his judgment against Cain, commanding the flood in the time of Noah. And countless judgments we see against his people for their disobedience. But in the New Testament, God has revealed himself through his son, Jesus Christ, as our judge. And we see in John 5, to 23, that all authority to judge has been given to Jesus by the Father. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. That all may honour the Son just as they honour the Father. See, God the Father would judge believers and unbelievers through his Son. Jesus will return to execute judgment. And he's coming with fire in his eyes. See, the sinless, sinless God-man himself, Jesus, lived a life we could not live at all. The better Adam. Restoring speech. Restoring our frailties. Reconciling us to Christ. The one that led all the leaders before that went before him. The one that created them. He walked this earth, this very earth, to reveal the path to the everlasting shores of heaven. His incarnation signified the new creation, the inauguration of a new creation, only in Christ, that the kingdom of God is here. Repent and trust in him. But did the story stop there? He went to the cross. He died and suffered in our place. But he rose again. He rose again by the power of the Spirit. Our Saviour that was crucified is now glorified. Saviour, ruler, king. Why is Jesus our righteous judge? Why? Because he is able to save and to destroy. He is able to save and to destroy. That's what verse 12 talks about. Those words remind us of the study that we've been going through in Jude during the week. Remember from verse 5 in Jude. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Jesus righteously and justly judges those who are his possession and those who are to be destroyed. He alone is worthy. He's worthy to take the scroll and to open it. That's what Revelation says. Who is worthy to open the scroll? Only Christ, who is full of all glory, all honour, that honour that has been bestowed onto him. 
He saves to the uttermost. His arms are not too short to save. Judgment has been entrusted to him who came into the sin-sick world to die for us on the cross. And all glory has been poured on him that at his name every knee will bow, every tongue will confess Jesus is Lord. He holds the keys of death and pronounces righteous judgment on on repentant sinners. How is Jesus able to save and destroy? He's able to discern hearts and minds. Why? Because he's the living word. The very word is able to cut through bone marrow, soul, spirit, to discern right and wrong. That's what Jesus, the living word, does. He's the chief cornerstone in which every living stone is built upon. Without being regenerated, without being made alive by the Spirit of God. Just dead stones. But when we turn to the Lord, when we repent of sin, that living stone being built upon the chief cornerstone, Christ, that building that's amazing, that houses God himself, such a mystery, Christ in us, the hope of glory. He's a rock to build up for those who are his. But the Bible says also that rock of offence to those that do not trust him. That very rock that can cause one to stumble if, because you're not in Christ. But that rock, when you trust in him as your foundation, as your truth, not the subjective truth of the world, he builds us up. Builds our character up. It builds our longing. It builds our strength and our endurance. He's a faithful shepherd who cares, who tends his sheep. He keeps an edge around those who are his. And those foxes that come along, he smites them. He deals with them. What a lovely and kind and gracious shepherd. The Bible says, a bruised reed, he will not break. A reed that is floppy and almost lifeless. Our Saviour is kind and gracious and merciful and tender to restore, to reconcile. Yet he has the power to crush. And he crushed that serpent's head. He's the almighty saviour. The almighty redeemer. There is no other name. No other name given amongst men under heaven by which we must be saved. Except the name of Jesus. He is the righteous, righteous judge. How do we stop making wrong and evil judgments? But when someone brings an accusation about another brother or sister, 
first asked him, can I quote you? Can I quote what you've just said? It sounds funny, but actually the person will be, oh, actually, no, maybe not. It's the truth. Ask, in what way can I pray about this situation? How can I commit this before the Lord? What I've just heard is troubling. But do we run to prayer first? Or do we run, run to, to spread the word? Discern your sins first before commenting on what someone else has done or not done. The standards that you have that they've not met with, they've not met up to. Discern your sins first. Pause, be slow to speak. Be like that former president. Just leave it a bit. Let it just... Just leave it. You don't need to respond now. Seek the Lord for wisdom and discernment through his word. When the word washes our hearts, our response and what's inside can only be his word, can only be patience and endurance and long-suffering. Who are you to judge your neighbour? James asks as we end. See, we cannot compare ourselves to the almighty God. We are but those that have been redeemed from the eternal wrath of God because God judged our sins by sacrificing his son, his begotten son on the cross. See, a true brother or sister in Christ is a servant of Christ. We are bond servants together of the living God. If indeed we are followers of Christ. And Romans 14 we read earlier reminds us of this who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another it is before his own master that he stands or falls and he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand take heed therefore that person that you make evil judgment about He's a servant of another. If indeed they are part of the sheepfold, Jesus is the one that determines whether they stand or whether they fall. Likewise, he determines whether you stand or whether you fall. If you're not in Christ, if you've not repented and turned away from your sins, if you're not leaning solely on Christ, for salvation the king is coming soon he's coming to judge he's coming to judge all our works done in this body he's coming to judge every loose words that we utter ask yourself will you stand on the day of judgment but if you're in Christ the judgment is by the law of grace See what great love the Father has lavished upon us. That we should be called children of God. That is what we are. Grace and truth comes from Jesus. Grace and truth comes from Jesus. His divine love abides in his children. 
That's the display of the love of God in us, that we love one another as God has loved us. We know we're not perfect, but we know one who is perfect. And that's who we seek. That's who we strive to be like, like our saviour, like the judge, like our brother, Jesus Christ. So let's love each other. We must seek the mercy of God as only found in Christ. Who can judge? Only one lawgiver. There's only one judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. Amen.